Wow, that was. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. Nailed it. And welcome to the last episode for this term of our Generation V podcast. Woo! Wait, Woo! hang on a minute. Aww. It is so good to have you all with us. And joining me, I have. Who do I have? I've got Georgie. Hello. Welcome. And Ollie, how are you? Good to be here. It's good to have you. Yeah. The dream team, might I just quickly say. Uh,. Indeed, yes. the dream team. Sam Tolman doesn't look too confident with that answer. I'm just, he hates. He doesn't play, like to discriminate. He hates I, to play favourites, but he knows it right. I think we've all been a dream team together Aww. on this podcast. The, the real dream was friendship. The real dream was the friendship we made along the way. <laughs> Tell me, guys, how are you? <clears throat> I'm good. Um, yeah, just got, just came after youth yesterday, which was rock climbing. Indeed. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fears conquered, actually. I'm actually, really? despite, you know, being so tall, I'm actually afraid of heights, which is yeah. insane to believe. But, uh, yeah, going up to those really high ones, it was like, all right. Yeah. Did you go into the dark rat's nest thing? <sighs> you know I did. And, yes, I did. And I hated it. And I'm too tall for that. <laughs> it sucked so yeah. much. Actually, yeah, you did tell me that last night. <laughs> Yeah, I was explicitly like, I hated it so much. Sorry to bring that up again. Forgiven. I'll leave you a, a bit of time to deal with that trauma. Thank Georgie, you. what about you? How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I've finally finished assessments, which is wonderful. That is great news. And yesterday at school, Year 9 held a market day and they sold some bomb items. They sold this item where it's like a marshmallow covered in chocolate and it's called like a hot chocolate bomb. And what? you put it in your hot chocolate and then the chocolate melts into the hot chocolate and then you have warm marshmallows. What? For a moment when you said they were selling bomb items, I was a little <laughs> bit concerned. But that does sound good. They sold very quickly, I must say. Yeah. I couldn't quite get my hands on one. You could, uh. They also sold duck earrings, which sold within two minutes. Wow. So what? And they had the teachers model them, like hoop duck earrings. Duck yeah. earrings. Called ducky dudes. Edible or no? No, not. Oh, why would they be edible? I don't know. I thought it was like. I think most earrings are edible. Yep. Can confirm. You're not going to back <laughs> us up on that one, Georgie? All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, guys, can you tell me something about yourself that perhaps not everyone knows? Um, I'm actually, I'm actually not even at church at the moment. I'm at home That's recording true. in my closet. Yeah, this has been a little difficult to set up. I know. I didn't want to come today, so I just yeah. put myself in the closet. Yeah, it's it's one really long, really long mic cable. <laughs> yeah, I had to buy like three extensions for it. Yeah, it's yeah. reaching out the door. Yeah, this um, is actually a really comfortable space. I'm actually, I don't, I don't even want to come out of the closet at the moment. I'm sort of happy in it. It's understandable. It's understandable. Hopefully we don't have any connection issues. Hopefully yeah. that's all okay. Uh, 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 oh, what was that? Are we good? Yeah, yeah, I think we're all right. I'm good, thanks. Right. Yeah. yeah, good to be here. Must have been a car running over the line. Georgie, tell me something about yourself that maybe not everyone knows. I feel like most people know me. But, you know, I'm just going to say a fun fact that everyone knows. I'm short. Okay. That is fun. I wouldn't know because I'm not here to see it. What is fun about being short, Georgie? Nothing. There's nothing fun about being short? <laughs> no, I just get bullied by Ollie. I do too. I think <laughs> that's a height thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you do really well in the rat tunnel, so you can... Well, I wasn't there. Well, I guess you can, you can only imagine how much fun you'd have in the rat tunnel. It doesn't sound too appealing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, people always like to give me piggybacks. And anyway, I actually, people fun. assume I'm like in year five. Like I once went to the hairdresser, like last year. You get he was kids' like, rights? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. He was like, oh, what year are you going to? And I was in that time, I was going into year nine. And I was like, yes, I'm going into year nine. He was like, oh, you look like my five-year-old daughter. I was like. <laughs> no, Sam has a point. You could be getting kids' rates for like oh, yeah. business services. Oh, yeah. yeah. You should jump on that train. Yeah. Wear like, you know, some colourful t-shirts and things like that and then... Some like love hearts. Yeah, like a backpack. Like, like the I Love New York ones from Kmart. Like a, like a live, sure. laugh, love. Yeah, yeah. Live, live, love, laugh. Uh, yes. With some blue shorts or something. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Some sparkly, like no, the reversible sequence tops. Oh, okay, she nailed it. Yep. I got him. Okay. 
There you go. That's how you can abuse the system. There you go, Georgie. That one's for free. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the middle of our series on stewarding our faith, which has been a lot of fun. We're in not the in the middle? middle. We're not we're in the middle, middle, Sam. We're, at the, we're towards the we're end. Actually, at the we're end. staring into the abyss that is the, <laughs> that is, that is the end. <laughs> yeah. The, the series is coming to an end, and it has been a lot of fun having you guys along. And this episode, we're looking at actually where the story of the Bible goes from, from this Jesus moment onwards. Where do we find ourselves now in the story? What, what are we going to, what's, what's going on after Jesus? Uh, would someone like to pray for us before we get stuck in? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Thanks, Ollie. Dear Lord, thank you so much that, you know, at least two of us could be here. Uh, I pray for this episode that it, yeah it's all it's all recorded. Um, Sam won't have to spend have, won't have to spend too much time editing. Yeah, give him rest for that. And I pray that what we gain from this back here or at home, Lord, that yeah we'll just learn and yearn from you today. So thank you for that. Amen. 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 So we're kind of done with the gospels. Uh, we're kind of we've done the last moments of all of the things that are in any of our gospels. And so the question is, where does the story go from here? And the answer to that is we have the, the mission that Jesus started. It, it's going to go out to all of the world. And the, the book that we have that recorded in most chronologically for us is Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And so we're going to look at that. And it's actually by the same guy, by Luke, who wrote the gospel that we've been looking at. Did, sorry, real quick. Did Peter write any books? Peter did, yeah. So so we've got Acts. The other thing that we have in the rest of our Gospels is a whole bunch of letters from different apostles to one another. Uh, and this section of the Bible is called the, the Epistles. And Peter wrote a couple of epistles. Peter wrote 1st and 2nd Peter. Oh, yeah, that, sh- that makes sense. Should also be known that Acts is my favorite book of the Bible. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Uh, it was year, It was in year nine. We were doing this thing called Soul on the Road. Yeah, yeah. And there were some passages in uh, Acts, and that was sort of like me starting to steward my faith in Scripture. And so I think Acts was like the book that I read front to back in year nine. So I've forgotten what's most what, what most of it is, but I do remember that was like yeah, a good. That was like my first sit down read. What can I learn from this? Like what can I gain from this? So I think that yeah, Acts. Holds a special place in my heart. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is a great book. It is a great book. So for the most part, we're going to be looking at Acts 2, which is kind of a a watershed moment for the gospel. But before we do that, I just want to quickly jump back to the moment just before Jesus ascends up into heaven, which we have in in Acts chapter 1. And in particular, what it is that Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends up into heaven. So this is from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness, both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and Samaria as far as the remotest part of the earth. Thank you very much, Georgie. Yes. This kind of sets up this, the shape or the structure or the maybe even the schedule of what's happening for the gospel all through the book of Acts. Jesus says, witnesses both in Jerusalem... And then in Judea and Samaria, and then in the remotest parts of the earth. And so that's the structure of the book of Acts. Acts is kind of roughly divided into three sections. The first section is set in Jerusalem and the things that are happening there. And then, because of some conflict in Jerusalem, the message is sent out into Judea and Samaria. So that's all of the kind of surrounding regions that would have been considered like part of Israel when that was still a nation. So going from the heart in Jerusalem, then to all of Israel, and then to the ends of the earth, to the remotest parts, is kind of like the last third of the book. We have this mission that starts really localized, and then it gets a little bigger, and then a little bigger again. And this kind of mirrors what's happening in our Old Testament. So in our Old Testament, uh, we can imagine this, like you've kind of got two triangles that are set, and like the points are stuck together. Right. And so on the left, it's like, it's really wide, right? It's like a big end. And on the right, it's a really big end. So, so on the left, we've got all of creation. And then on the right, we have the ends of the earth. So in the beginning, God creates the, the whole world. God creates everything. And he's in relationship with everything. And it's great. Things don't go great, right? With the whole world. 
things start to fall apart. The whole world is kind of collapsing slowly through Genesis 1 through 11. And then you get to Abraham in Genesis 12. So God chooses from among all of the people in the whole earth. He chooses one family that's going to be like his representative family. And that is Abraham's family. You can read about God choosing him in Genesis 12 through 17 or so. Um, all of the different stories uh, that God has with Abraham. Having chosen Abraham's family, Abraham goes on to have a bunch of different children. Didn't he have to sacrifice his first son before he would, like, God blessed him with lots uh, of sons? Well, he, didn't a- he didn't quite, because I think then God Isaac. promised him. Yeah, so yeah. He, he, had a, he had a son before Isaac. Abraham has his first son, Ishmael, and that's, like, that's, that's not good. He kind of takes the son for himself on his own terms, not by the terms that God wants to give him a son. Then later he has his son Isaac, which, yes, you're right, Georgie, he, he does almost end up sacrificing Isaac, which is a very interesting story in and of itself, but we're not here to talk about that. So God made all these promises to Abraham, being like, hey, I'm going to make you a nation, I'm going to make your name great, all the people of the earth will be blessed by you, and those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. So Abraham's mission is to restore that, like the state that we had in Eden back in creation, that ideal state back to the whole world. And God's doing that through one family from among the world. And so Abraham, Abraham has these two sons and Ishmael is going to go off and he actually ends up being the king of a nation. Like there's a nation that comes from his line as well. And then you've got Isaac and Isaac has two sons. Isaac has uh, Esau and Jacob. And Esau goes off and becomes a whole nation of people that are come from his descendants, but so does Jacob. Jacob becomes known as Israel. And so it's Israel that goes down into, into Egypt and comes out the other side and meets God at Mount Sinai, where he chooses Israel as, as his people again. So you've got, we went from the whole of creation. Now we're down to God's choosing of Abraham's family. Now we're down to God's choosing of the line of Jacob. And so Israel, they're doing great. They come into the promised land. And eventually they're like, we want a king. So they get a king. At first it's Saul, not so good. Then they get a new king, King David, much better. And so God makes a covenant with David. So now you've got the whole line of Jacob and God makes a covenant with just David and his line because the whole line of Jacob, they're not doing so great overall. And so you've got this kind of narrowing effect, right? Where God is choosing a smaller and smaller group to represent him and their purpose is to restore all of creation. That's always been their purpose. Now we've got this like the smallest point, right? You've got just the line of David and it comes to the moment of Jesus, right? Who is from the line of David. What you would expect is that it's going to start expanding out again. Now that God's goal has been accomplished, that it's actually going to start expanding back out to all of the world. And so that's what happens. First of all, Jesus comes to the Jewish people and the message spreads first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then out to the furthest reaches of all of the earth. This is what it means for God's purposes to be kind of complete in that way. The passage that we're looking at today is Acts 2, and it's from after the ascension, the disciples have returned back to Jerusalem, and they are waiting and praying in an upper room in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and the tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them, and they were filled of the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem and devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language? to which we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya around Cyrene, 
and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were jeering and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the other eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words. But these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and victorious day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue was overjoyed. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. It is this Jesus whom God raised up, a fact of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on urging, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And that all believers were together, and they all had things in common. And they would sell their property and possessions to share with them all, to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pretty cool. It is. Real quick, why does, in verse 31, uh, why does Peter say he was neither abandoned to Hades? Yes. Because that's a Greek thing. That's a Greek yes. mythology thing. The translators of the Hebrew Bible into Greek used the word Hades to translate 
the Hebrew word Sheol, which just refers to the grave. So in the Greek conception, Hades is kind of a place which has got quite a lot going on. There's, um, you know, there's lots of people down there kind of hanging out and pushing rocks up big hills or having bits of them attacked at regular intervals. There's a lot going yeah. on in, in Hades. There's lots of activity. I don't think that the Jewish conception of Sheol had a lot of activity going on, um, <laughs> but I think that that's the word they used to, to translate cool. that, that same concept. Um, because otherwise, David would not be saying Hades, right? No. I think the first thing to do is let's get ourselves situated in time and space. So in verse 1, it says that the day of Pentecost has come. So what is the day of Pentecost? I'm sure you guys, so you guys know this story, but have you asked, like, why Why do they introduce this, like, the day of Pentecost? What is Pentecost again? Yeah, so I was about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Pentecost is a thing that is, like, it precedes the Christian tradition. It's a Jewish festival. Pentecost is the Greek name for that tradition, and it just means 50 days. The Hebrew name for this is Shavuot, and that means weeks like it's the the plural the plural of of a week. It is celebrated fifty days after Passover, or seven sevens after Passover, plus an extra day. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so it's listed in in the Hebrew Bible as one of the three times each year that every Hebrew man is supposed to come to Jerusalem and present themselves before God. So you can find that in Exodus thirty four if you're looking. Three times each year, there are three different festivals. One of them is. Passover. Passover, yes. Nailed it. The next one is weeks or Pentecost. And then the last one is tabernacles or booths, the festival of, of the ingathering. Yeah, actually, if you've been watching The Chosen at all, then in the most recent couple of episodes, they go to Jerusalem for tabernacles. Pentecost. So 50 days after Passover, it's called the, it's sometimes called the festival of the first fruits. Because what they would do is this was the moment when everyone had just kind of had their crops done, the whole harvesting thing had happened. And so they would come and offer up the first fruits of their harvest to God to celebrate and say thank you for all of his provision. In later Jewish tradition, it came to be understood as a celebration of the giving of the law. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about how that relates in a moment. But first of all, let's look at the actual activity that happens in that upper room. So it says, there was a noise like a rushing wind, and then there are tongues of flame that come and sit on each of their heads. Let's, let's dig a little bit into this, into this imagery here. So first of all, wind. I don't know how you feel about wind, but wind is a really important symbol in... It's cold, right? How do we feel about wind? I don't, oh, yeah. I'm upset about wind. It's cold when it Isn't wind the blows. Isn't the science behind wind baffling? How it's sort of like... It's hot and it's cold. It's, but yes, that's, and the, it's high pressure and it's low pressure. Isn't the, But isn't that the thing, though? Like, wind is made from, like, escaping a gap or no entering a gap? Like, how you know, like, how ovens... Yeah, yeah, there's wind. Isn't it like that sort of logic? Because when the air gets hot, it expands. Yep. And then that builds up pressure. And so it moves from high pressure areas to low pressure areas. Exactly. With wind. Fills a gap. Wow. Science. I don't know how much of that the the disciples understood about wind. Okay. What they did understand about wind, though, was something really important and actually deeply kind of about God, about wind. Let us do a little bit of an activity. We're going to, so we're going to talk about this Hebrew word, ruach. Ruach. Do you guys want to, uh, Ollie, that. you should be an expert at saying ruach. Yes, I should. That was my old church. Yeah. Ruach. You've ruach. heard that one before, Georgie? I have. I don't know what it means, but I've heard. Yeah. So ruach is, it's a bit of a difficult word to understand, to, to kind of translate from Hebrew into English. So I want you guys to like put a hand in front of your face and then like breathe out onto your hand. Do you, those breathing noises are good. Do you, uh, you, so you feel that, right? Like there's something, something that, that happens on your hand. Yes. Yeah. So that 
that thing, that is ruach. That. Yeah, that that thing. Uh. We ha- we have three different English words that we translate that we would would use to translate ruach depending on the situation. So one of them is like this kind of pretty obvious like breath thing, right? Ruach means breath, but it also means wind. Like if you put your hand out in the wind, it kind of feels pretty similar to that. Maybe it's a little colder than <laughs> uh, than your breath was then. I don't get a whenever like you know the wind, <laughs> the wind hits my hand, but it's all good. I mean, it's the same kind of feeling, right? It's like a... <laughs> with the ones oh, that was very oh, accurate. True. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Uh, but the other thing that it means is spirit. I don't know what the image of your head is when we talk about spirit, but I think I think really it's it's really about breath. It's the, the same thing. It's the, th- the same thing that's kind of inside you. We can tell that it's really important for humans, right? Because... If we find someone who's lying on the ground, right, and they're not responsive, like their their eyes are shut, it's it's not looking good, and we go up to them, one of the most important things we can do to see, like, hey, are they, are they okay, is to see if they're breathing. If they're not... CPR. If they're not doing... Yes, do CPR, but also they're in trouble. And so this ruach thing is really important for humans to to be alive. When... When the disciples talk about a, a great wind coming in through the room that they're in, first of all, it's a locked room. That's a bit weird. But why wind? This is God's ruach that is filling the room. God's spirit that is coming and, and moving and is, is actually about to settle on these people, as we'll, as we'll see. Because the tongues of flame... I sort of see it as a call to action, because this is right before... Or the gather like the, the many people are, are like about to confront, like the disciples are about to talk to, and I sort of feel like I feel like in this sort of say this space, sort of unaware of that. That's what I'm imagining. And it's like this this wind, the spirit is sort of like this call to you have an audience outside. I'm giving you my breath, and my spirit, so that you can like bust down the door and then do exactly what Peter did. So I sort of feel it as a yeah. come outside, my spirit is yeah telling you to. It's sort yeah. of like inviting you by like, yeah, bringing the outside in. Yeah, I, so I think it's it's first of all the moment that they receive the Holy Spirit and then secondly, yes, in receiving the Holy Spirit, it is a call to action. Yeah, definitely. And And the tongues of flame, this is really significant. So when we hear about like, tongues of flame in the Old Testament or like like big moments of fire in the Old Testament. There are some really like important moments to think about. One of them is Moses and the burning bush. This bush that's on fire but isn't consumed. And that bush represents God's presence. He meets God there and that's where God calls him to action to to go and rescue his people out of Egypt. The next moment that we should think about is the pillar of flame. Oh, actually, I, I missed a really cool moment in Genesis 15 where Moses falls asleep and then wakes up and God appears to him in the shape of a, a flaming torch and a fire pot. And then, yeah, the pillar of flame that leads God's people through the wilderness and, and into and out of the Red Sea. There is another really significant moment, which is what happens on Mount Sinai, right? So the people have just come through the Red Sea, out the other side, and they've got to Mount Sinai. And what happens? God, like, comes down on Mount Sinai in fire and lightning and thunder. It's a really dramatic image. But it is God's presence meeting with all of God's people on Israel. And God is going to speak out of that fire. He's going to tell all of Israel the Ten Commandments. And that is the thing that the they're celebrating. When they're celebrating the giving of the law, it's that moment where God came down among his people in the form of fire and settled on the mountain to teach them about him. And that's what's happening to these disciples in the upper room. God is coming down in fire and resting on them and teaching them about him. God's presence is back among his people. When Ollie was talking about like the breath like of the spirit, I don't know mm. why, but like when people... Like when we do talks at youth or like at night church, I don't know why, but that like popped into my head. 
because when like someone is about to do a talk, like someone will go pray for them and like pray that like the Holy Spirit will fill them. And then when they do their talk, like the God works through them and then breathes them so they can do their talk on how God really wants to talk through those people. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, a really important theme is, is God's word. So it's by God's word that he creates the heavens and the earth, right? Um, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was formless and void. And then God said, let there be light. And it was so. And it, so it's God's word that creates the heavens and the earth. And what happens when you speak? You certainly have to breathe out. And so there's something really closely knit between God's spirit and his word and how they work together. And yeah, it's the same thing that's going to happen for these guys in this Pentecost sermon. And it's the same thing that hopefully is happening each week at, at youth and at church as we, as we speak about God's word together. What's what I love about this is, and that especially in its placement being in Acts and very early in Acts, there's definitely a sense of what has happened. And then I think obviously the audience that Peter is addressing is very much the audience we as the reader are after reading the gospels. And so it very much has a coherent like divide of Peter explaining the gravity of what has just happened and how that's amazing. And then immediately after that, it just says, what do we do? And then it's just like, well, now it's, it says here, just repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Christ. And then, yeah, gift of the Holy Spirit. And then that's, that's just, I think that's just re like as a story, as a narrative, it's definitely clear spiritually. It's also really neat too. Mm. So that's why I like this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important that this, this Pentecost moment is not limited to those in that upper room. So first of all, there would have been 120 people in the upper room. It tells us 120 people. It must've been a big house. Hopefully it had a strong first story to support all those people. But yeah, 120 people with little tongues of flame separating on their, on their heads. And then they go out into the street and 3,000 are added to their number and receive the Holy Spirit. And it's only going to go upwards from there. Okay, so they, they go out into the street and they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in all these different languages and everyone can understand them, which is incredible. Let's ask the question of like, what does that mean? Why are they able to do that? And what is kind of the theological significance of the fact that they can speak in tongues? This passage is really clearly tied to what happened in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. You guys might know the story. All the people of all the earth have gathered together in one spot and they're building a tower for themselves. That's head is going to reach up into the clouds to make a name for themselves. The tower gets taller and taller and God comes down and says, look at man, when they're able to work together like this, none of the evil desires of their heart will be beyond them. So he separates their languages and scatters them across the earth. And so from that point on, people have different languages is how the story goes. And so it is also this really important beginning of a story of scattering it's not just the like the people at, ba at Babel who were scattered if you read this passage in Acts 2 verse 5 it says now they were there were Jews residing in Jerusalem these people aren't like foreigners they aren't pagans these people are, are Jewish people but they all speak different languages so it's not like this is uh, the people, the Canaanites and the, the, the Greek people and the Roman people. They're all Jewish people. It isn't just the, all of the nations that have been scattered, but there's been like a subsequent scattering as well that's associated with this. To do that, I thought we'd just quickly look at this passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is an incredible book of the Bible, by the way. I would actually give it a 9 out of 10 read. Ooh. <laughs> I think if you want to get at the heart of everything that's going on in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is the best place to go. Nate. And this is a passage from close to the end of Deuteronomy. So Moses is, all of Deuteronomy is a speech from Moses to his people, talking about how they're going to live their life now that they're entering into God's promised land. 
he's just set set before them that like what are going to be the consequences of living with God or rebelling against God. And this is what he says after he's set those consequences up. So it will be when all of these things have come, come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have placed before you, and call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul in accordance with everything that I am commanding you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Mm. We're back to the moment of exile again. The, the theme of exile through the Bible. God's people have lived in disobedience to him, just like the people at Babel. And so God scatters them among the nations. And here Moses is like half a millennium before that happens, talking about this scattering event. And he sees that after the scattering has happened, God's going to bring his people back together again. And that's what he's talking about, gathering the people again. And so just like what happened at, at Babel is undone in the speaking of tongues, all of these Jewish people are brought together again. In Like we've been looking at how Jesus comes ending the exile. This is another little piece in that puzzle picture of the exile ending and God's people being made whole again. But now, now I want to do something a little bit experimental. So you notice how the, the people said to, said to Peter, like, Hey, are you guys drunk? Are you, have they had too much sweet wine? I was just looking, no, you say experimental and then just immediately went to the bit about drunk and I'm like, Sam, <laughs> 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 what, what have you done? <laughs> No, no, Will no. Sam no. deliver wine to Ollie's front door. Ding dong, what's that? <gasps> yeah, there it is. It's a barrel. What's <laughs> wine? Here we go. No, no. Wine is a really important metaphor, particularly in the book of Isaiah. There's a whole bunch of different metaphors. The one I want to pick up on here is the theme of the, the cup of God's wrath. When there's James and John, son of Zebedee, come up to Jesus and, like, hey, Jesus, we want to sit at your right and your left hand when you come into your glory. And Jesus is like, ah, uh, will you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Will you be baptized in the baptism that I'm going to drink, that I'm going to be baptized in? And they're like, yep, we'll do that. And he's like, ah, uh, actually you will. You will drink the cup that I will drink and you will be baptized. <laughs> and this cup that Jesus is talking about, he talks about it again in the garden of Gethsemane, just before his death and execution. He's praying to God and he says, God, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. The cup that he's talking about is a theme that comes all the way through the prophets. And it's this theme of the cup of God's wrath. It also shows up in Psalm 75. Uh, this great new song of Psalm 75, which I've been enjoying, uh, that talks about the cup of God's wrath. So the image is of, is of this cup, right, that is, is full of wine. The nations that are like rebelling against God, they, they take this cup and they want it like it looks good. It's, it's a, it's a nice looking cup of wine. And so they, they drink a little bit, right? They want to take a sip from the cup, but God's judgment on the nations is not that they would take just one sip of the cup, but they would drink the whole cup down until it leaves them staggering. This is, this is a passage from Isaiah, which is kind of reflecting on that, that cup of God's wrath, because God's wrath is also for Israel, of course. And so Israel is going to drink from this cup as well. But this is a passage from Isaiah 51, starting from verse 20, talking about this cup of God's wrath and how Israel is going to interact with that. Your sons have fainted. They lie helpless at the head of every street, like an antelope in a net, full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, listen to this, you afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. This is what your Lord, the Lord, your God, who contends for his people, says. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. Okay, so we've got this theme of the cup that the nations drink, which is God's wrath. And then the people who are fainting at the head of every street from this, like this, this drinking. And then it says, listen to you afflicted who are drunk, but not with wine. And what does the Lord say? He's saying, I have taken the cup away, the cup of his wrath. You will never drink it again. 
So I don't know. I haven't seen people tying these two passages together, but this is a passage in Isaiah, which I stumbled across and I'm like, I feel like this is what's going on mm. in that moment at, at Pentecost. The people have been drunk and staggering, but God has taken the cup away and they're never going to drink from it again. Jesus has taken the cup on himself. Ooh, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. I mean, yeah, I've never heard anything like that sort of connection before, so glad that you could stumble upon it. I thought the gathering of the people was interesting and, like, how you, they always have to, like, come back together and, like, come back to God. I thought that was mm. what really stuck out to me mm. and something that we should take away from that passage. Yeah, it is interesting that you were saying that the biggest theme of like the Bible is exile and like the distance we put ourselves between uh, us and God and that there is very much a, a definite return of his people and gathering and that it's always solidified, which is helpful because like it shows that like we're just as flawed as them. Like it's okay for us to like be in exile and then to come back because God's people did it just as many times as we will. So I think it's a very integral theme mm. and that I'd say, I'd say the most important time for gathering is like after this uh, life changing event of the Ascension and that it's sort of like, it's not, it's not even a callback. It's just sort of like, yeah, it just, it sees through every single aspect of um, the Bible. Peter's sermon. First of all, do you guys know the term apologetics? Apologetics. Apologetics. I know apologetics. I'm sorry. I don't know what you mean. But no. <laughs> that was a good one, that was guys. A really good one. Wow. Uh, I don't know how the like the technical term apologetics relates to apologizing. I don't know how they're connected together. But sorry, were you being sarcastic or no? No, it's a like it's a different thing. <laughs> Ollie can't see Sam's face, so I, I he can't I tell. I couldn't tell. Because so you're so visual in your face, you know, I figured... That's true. All my emotions are written right there. Yeah, so I can't really understand you in just your words. <clears throat> Apologetics is the practice of talking about your faith to someone who doesn't believe it and kind of making an argument for your faith to them. Oh, okay. Not like starting, like, like making an argument, making your case. Okay. Maybe it's because, like, you start the sentence of, I'm sorry, but... This is, this is what I believe. Wrong. This is why you're wrong. Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Although Peter doesn't say, I'm sorry here. Okay, well, but he does start with apologetics. He starts with uh, the time honored Christian tradition of uh, making an account of why you look drunk. Uh, hopefully, there aren't too many sermons these days that begin this way. But he says, uh, These people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day. I don't know if that's a very effective defense. Is that like 3 a.m.? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was about to say. Uh, no, the third hour... Like, what, 9? 9, 10? Something like that. Yeah. I, I thought you said like 9 and then 10. <laughs> I was like, oh, very specific. Because I was like, that's like what day starts when the sun is up. Sun rises, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Not it's 3 a.m., guys. <laughs> not 3 a.m. It's... Um, you should be asleep at 3 a.m. It might be like 8. 8 or 9. Something like that. They are up and at them. They were, but they were also down to sleep early. Yeah, I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> as soon as it left my mouth, I was like, yeah, okay. Sam's going to prove me wrong. No, no, no. You, you're right. They were up and at them early, but they were also to sleep early. Come on, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the equivalent to up and at them? Is it down and... Down and, down and out. Down and out. <laughs> <laughs> so normally apologetics is like like an atheist and a, and a Christian debating on a stage about like whether or not the Bible is plausible at, at any rate. But here, the, the apologetics that Peter has to do is why him and all the apostles look drunk. Can they see the fire or is the fire gone by that point? Uh, I don't think they could see the fire. Otherwise, they probably would have commented on the fire. You'd think. <laughs> but they comment on the tongues. They can see the tongues or hear the tongues. Yeah, hear the tongues. And... Yeah, but, G uh, but Peter isn't the only one to have to make an explanation of why it is that he's, uh, he's drinking. If we just take a quick look at, uh, at the story in Luke 5, 
what happens there, Jesus is like hanging out with disciples and some people come up to him and they're like, hey, why are you eating and drinking when the disciples of the Pharisees and John's disciples are fasting? And Jesus is like, ah, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus says, how can you ask the people at the wedding banquet to fast when the groom is around? And, and so Jesus also has to make an explanation for himself as to why he is going around and eating and drinking with the tax collectors and, and not fasting like everyone else is. There's a lot of things that Peter says in his sermon, and we could dig into them all in detail. And one thing that I do want to focus on is Peter's use of Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is probably the most important Old Testament passage about Jesus we haven't talked about yet. Why don't we just have a read through Psalm 110 first? The Lord says to my Lord. Uh, wait a second, Oli. I will wait a second. Because... <laughs> In the Psalms, oh, the, right. the title of the Psalm is part of the inspired yeah, text of, of Scripture. David, yeah. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely on the day of your power, in holy splendor from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad county, country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Excellent. I definitely saw some bits taken away from for, uh, Peter's sermon. Yeah. In particular, the very first thing, the Lord says to my Lord. So David is speaking and the Lord Whenever you see Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, uh, like you are seeing now, if you have a Bible open in front of you, whenever you see the word Lord in your Bible, uh, that is the translating the, the divine name, God's like personal name, Yahweh. But here it has the Lord in all capitals says to my Lord, which has just the first letter capitalized. That's because it's not the divine name, Yahweh but actually um, Adonai, which is just like like, like a lord. Uh, a servant has a lord who, who is in charge of them. So David is talking about, about God talking to someone who is in charge of David. And so the question is like, who's in charge of David? Because David's king. And this is a question that kind of, it kind of stuck in the mind of the people who were trying to picture what was going to happen and, and who was who this Messiah would be is, who is David's Lord that God is talking to? And so that's why this psalm has been particularly important for, for understanding who Jesus is, and particularly uh, passages talking about, I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet and sit at my right hand. These are all really important themes that run through the New Testament. <laughs> Does he go on to talk about some like the gifts of the spirit, or like, because I know that obviously tongues, uh, sort of prophesy, and so he's sort of mm. talking about like what we can do now. Uh, he doesn't talk about in this sermon, or well, actually, the sermon finishes with, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept urging them. So I guess <laughs> maybe he talked about the gifts of the spirit. I don't know. He probably didn't know exactly what it meant for like what it would mean for him and the other apostles to have the spirit on them. Cause they've only had it for like 10 minutes. Not here. No, as far as the gift of tongues though, that's, it's really interesting. So here, what happens is that the spirit comes upon them and they speak in tongues. And what that means is that everyone around them understands. And I don't know what it's like for you when you hear other people speaking in tongues, but normally the overwhelming experience is of not understanding. And that's not because they 
are doing it wrong or something like that. There's just <laughs> kind of like two different things that the Holy Spirit does that are both referred to as the gift of tongues. And one of them is this one here where everyone is able to understand everything that they're saying in any language. And the other one is what happens when people start prophesying in that, in that language that other humans don't understand. The people, they hear what, what Peter has said and the, and the response that they have is that they become baptized. Uh, we talked about baptism a little bit before when we were looking at Jesus' baptism. It's a similar thing happening now. They're being baptized, going down into the water and coming up out of the other side, remembering all of Israel's story, but also joining in Jesus's death and in his resurrection. And then they're receiving the, the Holy Spirit. And that's what it means for us to be baptized now, mm -hmm. is to do all those things, remember all those things, and to receive the Holy Spirit as well. Actually, th that's a really tricky question. I shouldn't have got stuck into that. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then the, the water baptism and the question of like how they're related. Like, do they happen at the same time? Does one happen first always? And then the other one always happens second? Who knows? Really complicated. That's the kind of thing that... <laughs> we could be here for hours if we went into that. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that denominations are kind of like, like one of, one of the boundary lines that they separate over mm. is how the baptism of the Spirit works and whether or not you need to be bapti baptized in water. I would just say, just, just do it. Get baptized in water if you haven't. I did. It was cold. I did. It was not bad. Not too cold. We were, it was a church camp in the middle of winter. Yeah. And, then, and they had a pool. That's there. a classic move. That's how they get you. The Christians. Yeah. So you know, you know how like at youth we play games like, you know, where you like drink the horrible concoction? Yep. Yeah, baptism is just a, kind of another one of those. <laughs> you do it in winter and then... <laughs> yeah. I am kidding. It's not that. Or you can be christened or you can be confirmed. You can, yeah. There's so many other How ways. How easy it's... is it to be confirmed? Let's give you a thumbs up. So that all comes from the idea of can you be baptized more than once? Yes. And Isn't so, it like yes your parents like make a promise that they'll raise you a Christian and then you confirm... That when you're like kind of this age, yeah. So, so you they, would get they, they did in fact raise me as a Christian. I can confirm that. I can confirm that too. <laughs> no, so, so if they're like, so if they're like, it is okay to baptize someone who is too young to make their own decision, right? So that's what christening is. You baptize someone who's really, really young, like they haven't themselves chosen to live for God. Their parents are kind of making that decision for them. So they they christen them when they're at that age. But if your theology is also like but it isn't okay to baptize someone like more than once. You only get baptized once. So we've already done the baptism thing when they were a tiny little child. That's stupid. Lovingly. I don't know. Lovingly stupid. Like, it doesn't seem obvious to me that, like, there aren't characters in our Bible who get baptized lots of times. Anyway, then, <laughs> then, then the, then so they've already been baptized. But now it's important that they have this like select like this moment where they choose for themselves. So instead of getting baptized, they get confirmed. I just realized there's another one. Dedicated? Is that something else? Uh, something different? I just that I came to my head. That dedicated and christening are similar? Oh, okay. I might be wrong. Sam's giving Sam me is eyes. yeah, Sam is <laughs> might not be agreeing Wait, with Sam's us. Sam's there? Yeah, Sam is here at church. Damn, okay, cool. Is is being christened and dedicated the same thing, Sam? No, no, no. no, no. Sam okay. says no. Sam says no. They're, they're different things. Sweet. Okay. Baptism. Very complicated. Just do it. If you haven't been baptized, do it. Just send That's it. That's my advice. Go for a dip. Send it. Ship it. It's not ship it. Send it. Could be. Could. Yes, you could. Could be. It's up to me, Ollie. I'm in charge. You You're not it. even in the room. They've been baptized and they're now hanging out in Jerusalem. So, like I said, we've got the Jerusalem. Uh, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That's kind of our structure for the book of Acts. They're hanging out in Jerusalem at this point, but all the people in Jerusalem, there's there's like thousands and thousands of Jews there for the festival of Pentecost. And many of them are being added to their number every day. Every single day they're, they're being added to their number. Was it 3,000 in one day? 3,000 in one sermon. In Wowza! <laughs> I wish I was that good. 
<laughs> I mean, it's clearly all Sam, about if you're, God. If you're given a platform of 3,000, I think you could. What if what if this podcast gets 3,000 views? We don't know. 3,000 listens, not views, but yeah. You never know, guys. You and each know. one of those listeners converted. Yeah, every there. single one. Yeah. Then or there. maybe we have like 5,000 and then 3,000 of those 5,000. Yeah. That seems come. more realistic. It's not really about who is speaking. And I think that the books of the Bible make that really clear. Peter wasn't an incredible person. He wasn't like the best guy there is around. Moses wanted his brother to speak. Moses, yeah, Moses was not a good speaker. He wanted Aaron to come and speak for him. Or God provided Aaron to speak for him, yeah. Wait, isn't like made a brother out of nowhere or was just, oh. like, <laughs> no, no, or just no, no. made him aware of his you brother? His brother to speak on your behalf. No, well, somewhere in between. Uh, Moses was like, hey, I'm bad at speaking, send someone else. And God was like, fine, you're bad at speaking. Well, your brother is already on the way. I'll send him to you. Ship him over. Ship him. Yeah. You remember your brother? No? <laughs> yes, thousands being added to their number daily. Yeah, the church the church grows and it spreads out from Jerusalem into all of Israel and then into all the world. This kind of final chapter is the part of the story that we find ourselves in today as Christians Oof. is that God's kingdom is moving to the ends of the earth and it's it's our job to like Peter to to carry the gospel of Jesus with us wherever we go. Ends of the earth. What about to the ends of the earth? The end of the earth. Dun dun dun. 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 That wasn't a joke. I was just like, well, okay, we've, we've obviously discovered all of Earth, so now the ends of the earth could really mean that at the by the end of the earth, that's true. Something else will happen. While we have, like, we know about all of the places where there are people, for the most part, not all of them know Jesus. Like the gospel isn't everywhere. As Christians, our, our goal is to take the gospel to all the people well, on all of the earth. Well, domination. Pope's, well, domination. Pope's, like Catholic style. Yeah. No, not that. <laughs> well, yes, world domination, but by God. Not by Pope. Not, not by, by pope. pope. No. But still, world domination. He can domin- be there. He can be present. <laughs> he can be, the Pope can continue. He could join along. He can continue to exist. But he can't. Rule, rule. No, that's for God. God is king. I think it's definitely world building wise and for us wise. I love it. It answers that amazing and difficult question of what's next. I think it deals really well with what's happened and putting it to an audience that we can relate to and that what in place of Jesus, what we've received from this ascension is the Holy Spirit. Mm. And from its like its debut to these 120 people and then we see the immediate after effect of that and how there's like this new, like this new generation of like, speakers of Jesus and how like yeah and the first day of like the Holy Spirit arriving 3,000 have joined and is already signed and will eventually reach the far ends of the earth it'll reach like all the corners and it moves so quickly mm. that's really really cool I like that it's there is no end there is not, not that there is no end there isn't an end to the Bible in that it ends with the ascension it gives us this amazing gateway for what you were saying, our chapter being one of the spirit that we've received. Mm. And so I, I love this little epilogue. I'd call, I would call it an epilogue. Yeah. And it's a really open-ended epilogue and it sort of leads to like, you know, Bible, the sequel, which is now. Yeah. Every single one of the gospel authors really want to draw their audience into, into the story at, in the last moments of the story. Uh, Mark does it with this odd cliffhanger at the end of his gospel. Which is just clever. It's so clever. It is. Matthew ends his gospel with the Great Commission, which is an incredible passage right at the end of Matthew. Uh, and Luke writes a whole book about it um, in Acts, drawing the listener into the story. What does John do? 
Oh, that's a great question. I don't know John as well as I know my other Gospels. He's one that Jesus loved, by the way. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved. He beat Peter in a foot race to the to the to the tomb. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Jesus breathes on them after he comes back from dead from the dead. Yeah, he does the ruach thing. That <laughs> yes, it is that moment from John's Gospel. <laughs> and John actually ends his whole Gospel with a really fun statement. There are also many other things which which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. That verse frustrated me so much when I first read it because I thought there was this whole other like Bible's worth of stuff that Jesus did that we just weren't allowed to read. And for about like three months, it just kept itching at me until like, until my like um, knowing God teacher explained it really well. But at the time, I was just like, yeah. censorship. What did your knowing God teacher say? Uh, he said that very much shortening it, it was sort of like, this is what we need to hear. Like, this is the important bits. Yeah, sort of like that. Like, this was carefully chosen as to yeah. this is what is what needed. And then there's nothing special that happens in the rest of the, you know, um, the many other things that Jesus did. I don't know if I would say there's nothing special. I would say Jesus is all so special and we've been given the the things that we need. But Jesus was like this in every moment of his life. Exactly. And yeah. so, but yeah, for that first little bit, I was just like, hmm. Yeah. The end of the Bible, like, gives us, like, I guess a bit of hope that, like, the spirit is still, like, working through all of us and also, like, I guess leaders to, like, share the gospel and share the Bible. The Bible is still being written today. If that yeah. Makes, yeah. I thought yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. Like Ollie said. So, yeah. It's our story. Bible mm-hmm. 2. Bible 2. <laughs> New York Times. The, the modern testament. The sequel to the New York Times bestseller. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> Yikes. All right. Oh, dear. We are not writing the Book of Mormon. We promise. <laughs> yeah. I thought it would be good to take this moment, now that we've kind of come to the end of our whole, our whole series, and reflect a little bit on what this series has meant for each of us. I really enjoyed like recording the podcast series and getting to know Sam more and Ollie and all the people part of it. Also, thanks to Sam and Sam. You don't see Sam or hear Sam. Good. But Sam's he, here. Sam helps. And also Sam's woman. He's done an excellent job. He comes every week and puts in so many hours with editing, recording, writing it and everything and it makes a huge difference also for me i've really taken out of it i've noticed it's really helpful friday night youth group with the talk so either like the episodes i have been recording or listening to the ones that i haven't been part of i've noticed i've gone into like the talk um with a better understanding and i can like take in what their view of it is more which is also like really interesting rather than when you go into a talk not knowing specifically what they're saying and then taking more in the content rather than what their view is on the content, if that makes sense. I find that really rewarding and interesting. I'm glad that it's had that effect. That is what I would hope for. I think consistently every episode that I've been on, there's been a moment of um, looking at passages and the references it makes. I think after this, I need to read the prophets that's a must because each time like Isaiah is mentioned and how it like directly foreshadows or like prophesies of what I've just read about in Luke, it's given me a greater understanding of the interconnectedness of the Bible Mm. and like how much of a coherent and engaging story it is from a narrative perspective. I've, I think that's what I've gotten out of this. I, I would just say I would read Deuteronomy first as because Deuteronomy is the framework which all the prophets are built on. Mm-hmm. So you could read like Deuteronomy and then read Isaiah and it will make more sense. Cool. Thank you. But yeah, no, 100%. We uh, should be reading our whole Bibles. We should. And this it. is a good, this is a gateway. Yeah. Because you, you give me a glimpse of what's in the spider web. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> References. I'm glad. Easter eggs. Bible Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's, I an, like I, that's an idea. Maybe the wine thing is Bible Easter egg. <laughs> right. Uh, this has been a really interesting creative expression for me because 
so I've been studying all of these kind of things at college at the same time. And in fact, I just finished writing my essay where I spoke about like all of the same kinds of things that we've been talking about in this, in this podcast. There's a, an odd kind of a rigidity to essay writing where you need to back everything up. Like you need to find the exact sources and, and the right page numbers and all of those kind of things. And so sitting down to work on the post podcast notes each week has been nice because it's, it's just allowed me to be more, more creative with my writing about who God is and who Jesus is. And then to speak about it and speak about it in, in a way that kind of flows naturally is a lot of fun. Hmm. So yeah, I've, I've enjoyed this as well. I'd like to just make, yes, I think we could all give a, a bad appreciation and thanks to Sam Tolman for engineering and birthing and writing <laughs> this project. So I'm Woo-hoo. super thankful to be part of this. Birthing is the right word. Uh, yeah, the, the afterbirth the... is it's on, it's on the ground. <laughs> you can't see it, Ollie, because you're not in the room. I assume it's placenta everywhere. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Every week at the end of the episode, I normally talk about the next episode. Oh, that's not really that relevant this time because this is it's all over. This is it. <laughs> we cease to exist now. Yeah. I'll see you guys on Friday night. I look forward to that. Better Thank come. You. Yeah. Thank you to each of you guys who have joined me. Thank you, Ollie. Thank you, Georgie. It's been such a pleasure having it's, you. It's been a blast. Uh, and also thank you to Marcus and Nia, although they aren't with us here for this last well, episode. He's with, he's with me. I haven't told you that yet. Marcus, but, he's just being real silent. Yes. Wait, I don't believe you. Hang Marcus on, here he is can't now. be that silent. Here he is. He's waving. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Marcus. Uh, and thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you to our, our listeners who have listened to all of the episodes, joined us all the way. It has been so good. I hope you have enjoyed and gotten something out of it as well. Thank you one last time to Marcus for our music every episode. Woohoo! That has made this really special. He's waving again. <laughs> yeah. Good. And with that, I'll see you guys later. Wow. Bye. One more song. One more song, one more song.